What's up, y'all? Thank you for tuning in once again to the Unofficial Therapy Podcast. I am Chris Kane. You know the vibes. And this podcast is going to be a little bit of a tribute and I guess a little walk down memory lane. That's how we're going to set this up. So I recently saw the Patrice O'Neill documentary, which is on Comedy Central. Comedy Central has been going downhill for some time. Basically, since KMPL left, the network has just been, whew, been going down. People don't even talk about it anymore, really. But his last special was on their network, so I guess they somehow had the rights to do the documentary. Not sure why it's there, but it is. And you can watch it on their website. I think you can get like a 24-hour pass to watch it. You had to give like an email, but I don't think you have to put a credit card in. So I encourage you to watch it that way. And the reason I'm bringing the documentary up is because many people over the years have asked me, why, why do you do comedy? How'd you get started? Do you, is it Richard Pryor? Is it Kevin Hart? Whatever, all these people. And the truth is, the comic that got me started in comedy is Patrice O'Neill. Because he had a style on stage First of all, I was always a funny kid. Even when I was a nerd, like I was always funny in school. So the idea of performing wasn't like, you know, some foreign thing. Like, oh my God, he's a performer. It's like, it wasn't that much of a surprise. <laughs> I had dreams of performing as like an actor when I was maybe like in the third or fourth grade. I was already having those dreams of me winning Oscars and doing like dope stuff. But actually getting on stage is a whole different thing. My first time actually getting on stage was after telling some wild story to my friends. And they were like, yo, you got to tell that story on stage. But I never thought about being a comedian. They just knew about an open mic and that's how I went down. But when I started actually taking the art form seriously was after I saw Patrice. And I saw someone who was unabashedly honest. And I don't even know... If half of what he said was right, it was completely non-PC. And I highly encourage you to go on YouTube and look up Patrice's... It's not discography. I don't know what you call it for a comedian. (laughs) He has a lot of radio appearances, too, where he really gets to do a long-form talk, which we don't get in stand-up, where he's just talking for like two or three hours. You can really hear how his mind works. I think he's the best comedic mind I've ever heard. But he was super honest and very often made the audience uncomfortable. If you ever see me perform, that is the opposite of how I actually am. I actually care how people view me. I do want to succeed in this industry, and I do want to have my voice be heard. And I think if you go too far to one side, then you definitely antagonize the other one. So I'm not anywhere close to how hard he goes in the paint. But watching him on stage, the comfort level with saying hard things with having a concept that people would inherently just not vibe with and then you flipping it to the point where they say wow I didn't want to agree with this at all but I kind of got a vibe with it because you're making all the good points it's masterful and this is no disrespect to the Daves and the Kevs and those people they're great in their right own right their own respective lanes and comedy is such a big sport, if you will, that you could be great in a lot of different ways. You could be Jim Gaffigan and talk about food, and I think Jim Gaffigan is hilarious, for the record. 
I never heard someone find so many points about food that you're just like, dude, that's such a dumb point, and it's absolutely hilarious. I'm not Italian at all, and I love Sebastian Maniscalco. I think he's great. So, and then, of course, obviously the classics, like Cat Williams, for some reason, never gets his flowers nowadays. People just skip over him. They go from, like, Chappelle to Kevin Hart as if Cat was in between those two. But that's neither here nor there. So there's a lot of ways to make it in the industry. But what I've seen is that a lot of comics' goal is to be funny, which seems logical, right? We're comedians. You should want to be funny. But his goal was to say something or to impact people a certain way. It was often funny because he is a comedian, but sometimes it just kind of left you in a thought like, wow, I've been just going with this premise, this thought in my mind, like just un, unchecked, like, oh, this is how I feel. And then he would say something and you'd be like, oh, wow, wait, do I got to reassess where I am? Like, And I always thought that was more long-term impactful. I've done a lot of comedy shows, virtual, in-person, made a couple of bits good enough, I thought, to like tape and put out to the world. People remember a couple of your bits. Even now, think of your favorite comedian. You can think of maybe five to six of their bits on top of your head. But their, their specials are an hour long. How many of those jokes just you just don't resonate with? Like Even in the moment, if you laugh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But it doesn't stay with you. It's kind of a fleeting feeling. And really, that's what laughter is. For the most part, that's why you have to keep laughing, keep finding ways to laugh, social media, YouTube, all that good stuff. But his stuff stuck to the point where, like, I think it actually could affect behavioral change. And I think that's such a powerful skill in the medium of comedy. So when I saw that, I was like, dude, I want to say something that makes people feel something. That makes them either want to change, hopefully not hate me, (laughs) but I guess that's always a possibility. Makes people want to change. Um makes them think, and makes me stand out. Because, again, there are thousands of comedians, maybe even millions. A lot of comedians. Every city. Oh, you're the funniest dude in Boise. I'm like, all right. <laughs> okay. But, you know, there's comedians everywhere. And most of them are, they stay in the same wheelhouse of jokes. They talk about relationships, which I talk a lot about, too, for the record. Um... Someone get into the religion thing. I almost never just don't know how that could be funny for the right audience, I guess. Politics, which again, what are you doing? You're immediately pissing off half the room. Doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Kids, which I don't have any of, so I can't even begin to talk about that. Or drugs. Those seem to be like the power five. Right? And so... If we're all talking about the same power five, and there occasionally is like someone who will come from complete left field about like aliens or something, you're like, I don't know where you're going with this joke. <laughs> you just kind of got to ride with them. But if we're all talking about the same power five, how many iterations do you think there are of those given jokes? Oh, man, I hate my relationship. My girlfriend is crazy. She threw all my stuff away, but we kept all of hers. Um, you know, I had to give up the house even though I pay for it like how many times can you hear it and it doesn't like maybe it may, it may laugh in a moment because maybe their like inflection is funny or 
they tell a particular story with that being the through line basically and it's funny but it doesn't stick with you like oh my wife is crazy or my husband is dumb and he can't raise kids like those punchlines can only work for so long and yet people keep doing them because apparently there's still an audience for it even though it is trite and played out to say the least so other than drugs he doesn't really talk about drugs Patrice but he does talk a lot about relationships and his take on relationships is so you can some people call it backwards it's so it's original in comedy maybe it's backwards in real life it's so like original in his take that you're on the edge of your seat because you kind of want to figure out where it's going to go at the very least if you have someone because there are people in the audience who are in relationships you and your spouse or your girl or your boy had to have that conversation in the car like, yo, can you believe what he said about so-and-so? And y'all got to have the talk. And it may you may be surprised to learn that you guys are not aligned on that. And maybe that's a point in the conversation y'all need to have. And now you have that whole discussion going, who knows where it can go. But the thing that I think defined his career the most was just an authenticity. And anyone who watches anyone in entertainment, you kind of see a similar thing. When a lot of people first start out and they're grinding, trying to get to the top, they seem to be as real and authentic as they can be because you're coming from the environment you're literally kind of still in, right? So like 50 Cent's first album, for instance, is like pure 50, right? went diamond 10 million records sold he made a movie video game they wankster and in the club and i don't know if candy shops on the album i think it's on the next one but regardless that was pure 50 that was him showing up to music video awards with a bulletproof vest on it was just talking through the bullet wounds and all that stuff like he was scared people he was always trying to get into fights and i think he him and T.I. had beef. Like, it was like, people were scared of 50. It was like, yo, if he's here, a fight might break out. So I might get shot. You know, he got shot nine times. And then, second album came out. Did well. Not nearly as well as the first one. Third album came out. People were just kind of drifted away. But it wasn't just that the music started changing. It was, he got richer. He got in different rooms. He started probably having the idea for power. Because... I think Power came out like 2010, 2011, something like that. And so he maybe started having the idea for it. And he kind of knew I wanted to get in the TV sphere. But you can't work in TV and also be a threat to shoot people. <laughs> it's like, I don't think uh, Stars is like, yeah, we want to go on a deal with you, but you may need to put that, um, can you put that 40, that 40, yeah, thank you, sir. You just put that down. Thank you, sir. Come in. Like, you can't just walk into a board plane with a gun. And so over time, yeah, I wouldn't just run up on 50 Cent and talk a smack, but he's not the dude he was. Same thing with Hove, same thing with a lot of these athletes, where, you know, I'm just trying to get my contract, man, I love the game, and then they get money, and then they they change. They become less authentic, and it's rare for someone to ascend in a given industry, speaking entertainment-wise, and still feel authentic. Right, I think... That's why people revere like a Tom Hanks or like a Denzel because they've been famous for 30 years. But you can do an interview with Tom Hanks in 1995 and do one in 2015 
it probably sound pretty similar. I don't think he's switched that much. Denzel's been on the same thing this whole time. He's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm black and I'm proud. You know, he was doing his old Denzel thing. He's, you know, he's made good movie choices. He hasn't sold out for cash. He's been married the whole time. Like, he's seemed to be consistent. And then we've seen people who haven't. We've seen the, the cruises and we've seen the, I don't know, Shia LaBeouf or somebody. You can name plenty of people. I'm just naming actors now, but where it seems like, oh, so early on when I met you, you were pretending to be, oh, I'm the nice guy, whatever, whatever. But now that you're on, now you're like the jerk. You're the, this, uh, I do whatever I want, man. Like you, you became that person. What happened? And really what it is, from what I can tell, is once you start making money in an industry, it's because you're attached to certain entities. And... If you don't act accordingly, then you can lose it all. And most of the time, people don't want to lose it all. You don't want to go backwards. So it makes sense. Why would you play the game? You play the game because the game makes money. And I, most people got into the industry to make money. And there's a lane that's developing where people, your fans will ride with you whatever you do. Like, as much as we, quote unquote, cancel Louis C.K., if he does a show... He's been doing shows for the record, so for those of you who think you canceled him, you did not. He's still doing shows. But if he does a show, it's going to be sold out because his fans are going to come out and support him. Now, his FX show will never come back, I'm guessing. So, yeah, he lost out on that, like, TV money, and they definitely recasted him as Secret Life of Pets 2 because he was actually the main character in the first one. So, yeah, he lost the movie and TV money. But he didn't lose the stand-up money. Because the stand-up fans know what kind of dude he is. Because his stand-up is pretty authentic. He tells you, 40-something, I guess now he may be closer to 50 now, red-headed, bald, half-Mexican, half-white dude who self-deprecating. And he really gets into his bag. So when you hear what he did, it was like, if you know it's comedy, yeah, it seems like him. But if you were in TV contracts with him, you're like, yeah, we can't have that. So he's he was authentic maybe to a fault. And then that circles back to Patrice because his style and humor was so unique that many agencies and many TV execs and whatever wanted to work with him. But he was too unabashed in what he would do. Like, he wouldn't play the game at all. He would have an idea. And then they would say, hey, Patrice, we want to, we like your idea, but we want to tweak it. And he would just be like, y'all know what y'all talking about. Bump all y'all. And then he would just kind of blow up at everybody. And then the deal will fall through. And so what happened is he ended up being this super talented dude who never could fully capitalize on that talent because he couldn't get out of his own way. And that led him to be essentially a martyr, some kind of revolutionary type person. But in many interviews, he specifically says, I don't want to be a revolutionary. I don't want to be a martyr. I want to make money in this industry. But... I think the industry, especially as you're on the way up, it requires you to tweak some stuff. And he wasn't willing to do that. And so he, he ended up dying as a thing he didn't want to be, which is sad in and of itself. But as a result, he has his legacy. Because he died 10 years ago, I think, to the day, or this year. And he's more famous in death than he was alive. 
it's people like Kevin Hart and Bill Burr and um, Dennis Leary, like high-level people who you've seen in movies, TVs, whatever, who are like, he was the dude. Like, he was better than me. But I did the right thing, quote-unquote, industry-wise, and he didn't. But that's why he is who he is. That's why he's special. That's why we're doing this, this documentary 10 years later because he was special in that regard. He was willing to die on the vine of his idea, his integrity, his authenticity. And, yeah, he didn't want to be a martyr, but he is. And he didn't want to be, like, a cult-type person, but he definitely is. And I think he inspired a lot more people than maybe he even realized because he inspired me to want to say something that matters. Like, recently, I've been writing daily. I think I mentioned this to you guys in the last pod. I was tweaking some habits and kind of cleaning some stuff up. Things like journaling that I said, oh yeah, I should journal. I didn't do it. Guess what? Your boy started journaling. <laughs> started journaling. Um, I said I need to start meditating. I've meditated two or three times since the last pod, which is kind of what I want to do. I think two or three times a week is doable for me at this point. Any more than that, I'm setting myself up to fail. So I did start doing that. And I started writing comedy, like a stand-up. Last summer, I was writing scripts. I didn't write any new jokes for months. And so now, because I'm prepping to do the special this year, and California is slowly opening up, and Florida's pretty wide open, I'm writing daily because I think it's going to inspire the best comedy. And I need to get in my bag. I need to like really go deep and... I found when I was writing over the summer for scripts, it got easier to write every day. At first, it was me looking at the paper like, <laughs> Strugglesville. And I was like, man, this is dumb. You can't write. You do all that self-talk stuff or whatever. And over time, it was like, hey, actually, I wrote that whole chapter. You know, you kind of get into your back. There have been a couple of days when I've started writing comedy where it was, it just was real slow. <laughs> Like, I just sat and looked at it for, like, 15, 20 minutes, and I was trying to, like, find a jumping-off topic, and it would be kind of tough. But I've been writing daily. I think there are a couple setups and a couple premises that I think are good. Some kind of push the envelope. One has a big religious thing in it. It's just, it's not anti-religion, but it definitely will make some people upset. But I do think it'll make some people think. So I got to figure out how to clean that up to make it um, doable on stage. But that kid, that kid, that's inspiration. After seeing the documentary, I felt even more inspired to keep writing and to even go deeper. Because I think the way the media wants to go, I think the way the industry is going to go, they are going to attempt to put everybody in some version of a PC box, some version of a universally accepted kind of situation. And so the people who are able to stand out from that and be talented and be funny, I think will be special. It will be in demand because they'll be different. But it won't be different for the sake of being a contrarian, which there's some people who are just like, I don't fit the box, but they're not saying anything either. You're just outside rambling. <laughs> Just because you're outside the club doesn't make you better than going in the club. You could not be in the club because you don't have any money or you left your ID in the car. But if you're standing outside on principle, then okay, good for you. So 
my goal is to start the process of putting myself in the conversation of he's saying something that hopefully a certain amount of people will accept. I do want to have a Netflix special at some point, so obviously it's got to appeal to people, but I don't want to be cookie cutter. I don't want to be, I'm the college black dude, which again, you can Google it. They're out there. Or I'm the black dude who talks about how much I like rock and roll and I don't fit in. Like, I don't want to be that. I think on some level, I'm trying to figure out what it is I want to say to people. And maybe that's going to come with time. I know I want people to think. I know I want people to feel impacted. But I'm not exactly sure what it is I want to say. I think I'm, I care more about the impact than the weapon of choice, I guess, if, that's, if that makes any sense. So, I've been having this dream lately. And I'll let you, I'll tell you guys because I think it's going to go out to the people. And it's basically been me doing the special with my boy Marv. And we're planning on doing it as like a tandem special. So it'll probably be 30 minutes back to back. And maybe we'll split them up and just do like a double. I don't know. We'll figure that part out down the line. But I've already told him in person, hey, we're shooting a special. And he said, hey, I'm down. (laughs) So I think we're both in the mindset of we should have. We were going to do it last year, but we're already like we're going to do this. And so I've been having a thought for the last week, really. It's been really on my mind of us taping a special and then allowing Netflix or Hulu or somebody, some entity, some uh, DSP to have it and then put it out so the people can get to it. So we won't necessarily get paid for the first special. But based on the response of the people, it will lead to the second special and then possibly a third and down the line. And I've been dreaming about the response of the special. And the response has been from comedians who we know and respect that, hey, those dudes, I don't know who they are. I'm in L.A., just like they're in L.A. Never heard of these guys. But this comedy is legit. These dudes are saying something. We should work with them before, you know, the world knows who they are on some level. And so then at that point, the opportunities come based on the work. They don't come from, oh, you made some dope connection or you know some agency head or whatever. It's like, oh, the work is good. So we got to ride with y'all because we want to be on wherever this train is going. Because I assume every special I do is going to be better than the previous one up to a point. I'm sure I'll run out of material at some point. But as you experience more stuff, you should have more experiences, <laughs> right? And we write our experiences. So at some point, I will be married, and that will be probably 15 minutes of material, and then kids, and then in-laws, and all that good stuff. And then even as you get more and more famous, make a little bit more money, all those come with potential jokes. And I'll just be longer in the game. And as you know from any musician, any you know, comedian, any writer... It takes a long time to sound like yourself. It takes a long time to find your voice. But when you do, then you can just kind of crank them out. Make that first book for a lot of artists, for a lot of writers, is like the worst one. Like they're trying to, they got to get rewritten, rewritten, and they're just like, oh, it's too long. The title sucks. Once you write that first book and you sell, they basically green light the next book. Yeah, you got two more books? 
cool. We're already in business with you. We know what you do. We know what the numbers are. We know the demographic. Let's ride. Give it to us in 18 months. And then you just turn it around. You just go until you don't write anymore. So I've been having that thought. And it's been really liberating. I haven't really felt any pressure, which you've, like, before you go on stage, there is a certain amount of pressure. You feel like the little butterflies and stuff. But I haven't really been feeling that. It's more been like excitement to get, one, to get back on stage to in front of real people. And, like, that's a super big excitement thing. But to be on stage, being your authentic self, saying it, knowing that, yeah, it's not going to be maybe perfectly received, there will be some naysayers or what have you, but because you're being true to you, that you can handle it. I'm okay with people not liking it if I'm being myself. That's I think that's where you have to be for as long as you can be. Because I guess at some point they will be like, hey, change or don't make X dollars. Then you got to decide how much money is worth to you. <laughs> and if you don't have money, then it's probably worth a lot. But that is something I'm really excited for. And I wanted to take a moment to give a mini tribute, give a shout out, and call some of you guys to Patrice's work because I know some people have seen the special, I'm sure. There are a lot of people who have never heard of him still, which is amazing to me. You know, you know, all these other comics and, like, oh, yeah, I love whatever. I mean, it's like, it's not the same. Like, you won't even look at, if you watch Elephant in the Room, you won't even look at a lot of other specials. The same way. It's so different. It's so, like, a notch above. And it's so impactful. I think it's, it's my favorite hour special. Period. That's Chappelle, Pryor, Kev, Rock, Elephant in the Room. You can actually YouTube that one. And if you watch it, I think you'll appreciate it. And you'll thank me. And be like, yo, why didn't I know about this guy? And I was like, not sure. <laughs> but he's out there. And I think he inspired a generation of people who want to say something that matters who don't necessarily want to buck the system but maybe I think he did a, he did a, um, a Opie and Anthony interview one time well not interview he was on the show and they asked him what do you want and he said I want to say what I want in this industry and find a way to like make money doing it and it was just like pre-podcast because I think he would be a great podcaster and then he would make money that way but this is like maybe 2008, 2007 maybe so this is you couldn't just say what you wanted and make money we didn't have the platform to do podcasts and that kind of stuff but there is something about let me just be authentically me and maybe I'll be wrong about some stuff might be on the wrong side of an issue unintentionally but let me be able to do that and still not lose my whole career, not be canceled forever, not lose all my gigs. Like, just lose some fans. Hey, we didn't like that last thing. Cool. You know who did? Those people. And those are people I'm going to appeal to. And it's okay if you don't like it. Just don't ruin my life in the process. And I think that was such a performer sentiment I don't know if anyone has successfully navigated it. I think Tracy Morgan may have been the closest one. Tracy was pretty pretty far along the way. Maybe Marshawn Lynch. 
as an athlete, for those of you who don't know who Tracy Morgan is, Marshawn Lynch is a, a good example of somebody who just, you know, he did whatever he wanted to do. He got suspended a couple times, and he didn't get the ball against the Patriots, and we know how that game ended. But for his career, is like, hey, I'm not, I'm talking to y'all, so I don't get fined. I'm going to sit down during the anthem, and no one's going to ever talk about it ever again. <laughs> it just never, they just never brought it up ever. It was always Kaepernick and Eric Reed. I'm like, y'all don't remember Marshawn just sitting down? It's like, he just don't want to ever say anything. He just found a way to kind of live his life. Tracy Morgan did a lot of that from SNL to his own shows to 30 Rock. But he definitely got himself jammed up uh, by the gay community. So up until that point, he would have been probably the closest one to it. But then even he had to pay the piper and do his apology tour and do the late night circuits of, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Like he had to do the whole thing. So even at his level... 20, 25 years deep of just being flagrant or reckless, he had eventually to bow down to. So maybe there's a lane to do it. It seems like it'll be difficult. Maybe even more fulfilling, though. But it is something that to aspire to, to be as authentically you as you can in whatever industry you're in. I'm using entertainment because that's where I am. Whatever industry you're in and not, feel like you have to capitulate to everyone and not feel like you're in danger of being fired or losing everything, that you can just kind of, as long as you're well-reasoned and not trying to hurt people, you just have a thought, you have a feeling, and you can just say it. And wherever it goes, it's kind of going to go. So this was a little tribute to Mr. P. Check him out if you have not seen him. He's great. And, you know, thank you for the inspiration because I plan on taking my voice and spreading it to as many people as I can. And hopefully I can impact as many people as you have. I'll talk to you guys next time. Take care.